If you have your Bibles, I want you to join me in Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. We're going to continue through, the, through our message series, Servant King, where we're going on a journey through the book of Mark. And we're going to be in the book of Mark. You know, I don't know if you knew this or not. Did you know we started our journey in Mark back in 2015? Yeah, we've been working through Mark for about two and a half years, and, and we are on the home stretch right now. So over the next few weeks leading up to Palm Sunday, with just a couple of breaks in between for Celebration Sunday, we're going to work our way through the, through the end of the book of Mark. All right. So Mark chapter 14, beginning at verse 20, beginning at verse 12. Mark chapter 14 beginning at verse 12, and I've titled this, this sermon today, The Last Supper. You know, there are some texts that they don't need very much explanation. This is one of those texts that don't need a whole lot of explanation. And so what I want to do for you today is I want to read the entire text I want to go in and open up the text a little bit, give you some, some background, some historical data that uh, might just fill in some blanks for you. And then at the end, I'm going to summarize what we've talked about by giving you three key takeaways that the Holy Spirit gave me from this passage of Scripture. Okay? So Mark chapter 14, beginning at verse 12. Are you there? Okay, I'm going to try to read this without my glasses. Man, all right, everybody's up. I got people saying, whoa, pastor. I guess that didn't work out to me so well, for me the, so well the last time, so maybe I'll put my glasses on. <laughs> I love you guys. You guys just keep it real. The words of the, of the scriptures. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. There prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came to the twelve. He came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. One who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him, one after another, is it I? And he said to them, it is the one, it is one of the twelve who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would be better for him, it would be better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took the cup, 
And when he had given thanks, hmm, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. May the Lord add a blessing to the reader, hearer, and doers of his word. All right. It's Passover week in the city of Jerusalem. It's Passover week. The city had swollen from its normal size of about 250 to 300,000 in population to, to um, well over a million people as people had come from far and wide in the observance of this historic event in the history of the children of Israel. It's the Passover. The Passover recalls and celebrates the emancipation of the nation of Israel from slavery uh, from, from the land of Egypt. The Hebrew word for Passover means to leave or to spare by passing over. It speaks to the physical passing over of the Lord's destroying angel on the first night of the, of the Passover in Egypt. Okay, that's what it means. At the time of the first Passover, the doors of the houses had their doorposts and the sideboards and, and uh, they had it smeared with the blood of a sacrificed lamb, a slain lamb. For God had declared to them, he said, when I saw the blood, he said, I will willingly pass over the house that that Israelite family resides in. But not so with the houses of the Egyptians, where the firstborn son of every household in Egypt would be slain by the destroyer angel. And that's what happened. And so from that night forward, Passover became an annual event. So, in accordance with Exodus chapter 12, the traditional date of the Passover was set for the 14th day of Nisan, which is the first month in the Jewish calendar. A lamb or a goat, if a lamb wasn't available, was sacrificed on the night of the 14th and then eaten together as part of a meal on the following evening. The Passover lamb was to be slain. Man, wow. I so want to jump ahead through the next few weeks right now. Man, my re the research that the Lord had me doing this week on this is is profound how over 1,500 years before this happened that God used prophets to prophesy exactly in detail what was going to happen on the night that Jesus was betrayed, on the day that he was sacrificed for us. Just amazing. But I'll tip my hand if I do that. It's not like you don't know already. I mean, we all, we all are on the south side of, of this, right? I mean, we all know what happened. All of us have the opportunity now to take a look at the back of the book. We all know how the story ends, right? But just walk with me anyway, all right? So the Passover lamb was to be slain somewhere between 3 p.m. and sunset. God decreed that the Passover would be a memorial 
that would continue forever throughout the history of his people. At Passover, bitter herbs were, were, were eaten to commemorate the bitterness of slavery that was left behind in Egypt. Unleavened bread was prepared to commemorate the haste with which the children of Israel left Egypt. Because all this stuff happened so suddenly and they had to leave in such a hurry, there was no time to prepare the bread as they would normally prepare it by including leaven. There was no time for it to, to rise, and there was no time to bake it. So instead, the Jews prepared this kind of bread that's called matzah that was not baked. It was, it was instead prepared much like what we would, how we would prepare pancakes. And it was baked on the top uh, of an oven on a griddle, and it was flat, the same way we would prepare pancakes today, okay? Passover. So it's Thursday morning of Passover weekend. It's Thursday morning of Passover weekend. Jesus and his disciples were probably in Bethany. And since the Passover meal had to be eaten within the walls of Jerusalem, the disciples asked Jesus, where do you want us to go to make preparations for the meal. And then scripture tells us that according to Luke chapter 22 verse 8 that Jesus sends Peter and John into Jerusalem with instructions to secure a room for the Passover meal. This is where to me it gets really, really interesting. How many of you know that Jesus is God? And that he knows everything. He does. He knows everything. And I believe that the omniscient, the omniscient Jesus, for security reasons, possibly had reserved the room in Jerusalem in advance. <laughs> Why? Because the scripture tells us that the chief priests and the Pharisees were out to get him. Wow. In John chapter 11, verse 45 and 57, Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. And his fame and his popularity had spread throughout the country. It had gone through the roof. And, and this passage of Scripture says that the Pharisees and the chief priests were in fear that they were going to lose control, that they were going to lose their grip on the nation. Look at what John says here. John chapter 11, verse 53 and following. He says, and so from that day, they went and made plans to put him to death. Put who to death? Put who to death? Y'all still with me? Who are they going to put to death? They made plans to put Jesus to death, and therefore Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness, to a town called Ephraim. And there he stayed with his disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews were at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. And they were looking for Jesus, saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think, that he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, that he should let them know so that they might arrest him. Now you're in John chapter 14. I want you to jump up to chapter, 
to, to verse 10. Because here in this verse is another reason why. Here, here in this verse we find Judas betraying Jesus. Scripture says that Jesus was reclining at the table, the house of Simon the leper. When a woman comes in, takes an alabaster box of oil, breaks it, the scripture says, pours it over his head. One of the gospels says, anointing his body for burial. There were a few of the disciples there that the scripture says became indignant because of the cost of this perfume. I believe that Judas was one of them. Look at what it says in verse 10 after that happened. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray them. When they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money, and he sought an opportunity to betray him. Hmm. My research shows me that, that in all probability, this happened on Wednesday evening. And so I believe that Jesus knew that the chief priest had ordered that if anyone knew where he was, that they were to tell them immediately so that he could, they could arrest him on the spot. And I'm convinced that they wanted to arrest Jesus prior to Passover, to get rid of him before Passover weekend so they could, so they could avoid any commotion that that might cause. And I believe that Jesus knew that this untimely arrest would prevent him from going to the cross as the Passover lamb. Hmm. I also believe that it's possible that the participants, the master of the home, intentionally remained anonymous and kept this location secret so that Jesus would have a place for his disciples to observe Passover. Wow. So now let's fast forward a bit. Let's fast forward to Thursday evening. The Passover meal has been prepared. Jesus and his disciples are sharing a meal together. We'll cover this more completely as we go further in this study. But I want to point out here that as you read the Gospels, there is no indication in the Gospels that lamb was served at this meal. And further, there's no indication of the presence of bitter herbs that were used in the traditional Passover meal. Just bread and wine. Look what Mark says here in Mark chapter, 7, Mark chapter 14, and verse 17, part of our text today. And then when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And they began to be sorrowful and to say to one another, Is it I? And he said to them, It is one of the twelve who is dipping bread into the dish with me. Man, this is... This is this is an amazing moment in history that I don't want you to miss. John gives us some detail that Mark doesn't give us about what happened in this moment. John chapter 13, 
John writes this. And Jesus answered, it is, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. And so when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he had said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. Here's what I believe took place in that moment. Scripture says that Satan entered in to Judas. Jesus turns and he looks at Judas, but I don't think he was speaking to Judas. I think in that moment he was speaking to Satan. And I believe that he looks through the eyes of Judas into the eyes of Satan and says, whatever you need to do, go do it right now. Do it quickly. And then the scripture tells us that Judas conspires to betray Jesus. He goes out. As a matter of fact, let me back up a little bit. Judas conspires with the, the Pharisees and the chief priests on Wednesday of Passover week to betray Jesus. That's when he originally does it in verse 10 of Mark chapter 14. Now it's Thursday evening, and he's sitting at the table. Satan takes control of him. And when he does, Satan sets into motion what will ultimately lead to the crucifixion of Jesus. And this is what the kicker is, and I don't want you to miss this, man. Jesus knew what he was doing. He knew exactly what he was doing. He knew what it would cost him. He knew it had to be done. He knew it all. Why? Why did he do it? Peter declares for us in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, that God in his infinite wisdom and mercy and great love for us planned even before time began that he would come in human form in the person of Jesus Christ and become the sinless, spotless lamb of God, the sinless, spotless Passover lamb. And then Paul verifies it in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. He says, for Jesus himself became our Passover lamb, chosen to be slain for the sin of all humanity, both Jew and Gentile alike. The Last Supper family reminds us of this truth. It reminds us of the sacrifice that Jesus was willing to make for us, for us all. So what? What does this mean for me, Pastor Greg? 
That was 2,000 years ago. What does this mean for me? I'll tell you what, what I believe are three key takeaways from this passage that we see and affect in the life of Jesus. And here's the first one. Choose to trust God no matter what. Choose to trust God no matter what. Listen, even if you don't know what he's doing and what he tells you to do doesn't make sense, choose to trust him anyway. Remember, Jesus takes Peter, sends Peter and John into Jerusalem to secure a room. Now, remember, I told you earlier, this wasn't just the average day in Jerusalem, you guys. This was like, this was like Ferrandi in Anchorage. You know, when you go downtown during Ferrandi and it's like you can't even get downtown, all the streets have snow on them. You try to go down the street and you end up going down another street, you end up walking like five blocks just to get one block. You know what I'm talking about? It'd be almost like Ferrandi. It'd be like Jesus saying, okay, I want you to go downtown Anchorage, and the first person you see with a fur coat on, you follow me? It's Passover weekend, man. These people, everybody's carrying something. They're getting ready to have a meal, but they trust Jesus even though they don't know possibly what he's telling them to do. And listen, here's the lesson for us today. We need to learn to trust Jesus even when we don't know what his plan for us is. We need to trust him anyway. You know, sometimes we don't need to know his plan. I believe this. I believe if we knew everything that Jesus was going to tell us to do, we probably would think we didn't need him anymore. But how many of you know we need Jesus? So we got to choose to trust God no matter what, even if we don't understand what he's telling us to do. We need to trust him to do it anyway. Here's the second thing that I got from this text. Choose to allow Christ's love to shine through you no matter what. Think about this, man. Eating a meal together in Jewish culture was one of the most intimate relational things that you could do. When you ate a meal together in Jewish culture, that, that meant something, man. It meant that that, that home was, was extended to you or invited into a person's oikos. What's mine is yours, and what's yours is mine. Don't miss this, man. In the middle of this intimate moment, Judas gets up and Jesus knows that he's going to betray him, Eric, but he chooses to love him anyway. We have to choose to love no matter what. 
Relationships can be messy, can't they? The only messy relationship, okay, let me say it this way. I don't want me to say this. The only time that you are likely not to have a relationship that's messy is if you decide not to bring your heart to the relationship. If you enter into a relationship and that relationship becomes a loving relationship, you run the risk of being hurt. And I believe that what this text is saying to us today is even in the midst of our pain, we need to let the love of Jesus Christ shine through. No matter what. Can you guys see that? Here's the third point, my third and final point. It's a key takeaway. I want you to, want you to get this. As followers of Jesus Christ, man, I said this earlier and I'll say it again. We already know the end of the story. We already know what the back of the book says. In the end, we win. Paul says that if in this life only we have hope, we are men most miserable. But how many of you know that this is not it for us? <laughs> Listen, our worst day here is not our last day. We get to, as followers of Jesus Christ, go from this life to eternal life where there, the Bible says there will be no more tears, there will be no more sorrow, we will study war no more. I don't even know what it feels like to be in a world where there's not news of some kind of impending war or danger. But man, I tell you what, at the end of the day, we have reason to rejoice and be thankful through our situations because we know just as Jesus knew in the midst of his, of his, of his encounter and knowing that he was going to the cross, we know as he knew that this is not the end for us. Scripture tells us that for the joy that was set before Jesus, he endured the cross, despising the shame. Let me say this to you practically. Sometimes the cares of life can weigh us down, can't they? Sometimes things just get tough. It feels like it's tough to breathe. Doesn't it? I promise you this. That in the midst of your sorrow, in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your chaos, there is still reason to rejoice. I promise you this. If you could, if you could just, in that time where it seems like you're overwhelmed and you can't breathe, just eke out a word of thanksgiving. And watch what God will do just taking that little bit to turn your situation around. Jesus took the bread. He broke it and gave thanks. He took the cup. He poured it and he gave thanks. Then at the end of our text, it says, 
that the last thing that the disciples did with Jesus in that room is that they sang a song. They went out singing one of the old hymns. Someone said in the research that I did, it was probably possibly Psalms 90 or Psalms 91. Some historians believe there was probably somewhere between Psalms 116 and Psalms 118 that they took one of those psalms and they began to sing and rejoice about the goodness of God in the midst of the pain. Family, that's, that's the example that Jesus leaves behind for us. In a few minutes, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. And I challenge you today to do what Paul said. Examine yourself. Lord, is there an area in my life where I'm not trusting you unequivocally? Is there an area in my life where I've refused to love and let your love shine through? Is there an area in my life, God, where I've given up and I have, I feel like I have no reason to rejoice, but yet I do. I have a reason to be thankful. I want to give that to you today. Father, thank you for the awesome privilege we have to just dive into your word a little bit and talk about the sacrifice that you paid for us on Calvary. Thank you, Father, that we worship you in spirit and in truth. We worship you with the words of our mouth. We worship you in song. And now as we prepare to take the offering just before communion, we bow our hearts to you in thanksgiving and say thank you for your provision for us and to us. Help us with a grateful heart to give back just a portion of what you've blessed us with so that you may be glorified in the gifts that we give today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the privilege that we have to give. Amen.